I know we have a, a range of listeners, but uh, maybe future graduate students just to speak or graduate students that are going to be future academics, uh, certainly to, to not don't be afraid to reach out to uh, to new professors for advice. Um, we've we've uh, gone through some of the challenges that you may be facing in the next year or two uh, recently, so we could uh, certainly help with the transition from graduate school um, to uh, to a PI. Um, but also, I'd like to speak, uh, I guess, on behalf of an academic um, to industry groups, and um, hopefully, uh, industry groups will will. Uh, be comfortable reaching out to academics and, uh, you know, maybe things that we can do to help um, some of the, the challenges that you're facing on a, on a daily basis or um, challenges that you're facing in your, um, in your uh, I guess, entity or um, industry group that um, whether it be, um, you know, specific questions or if you just want to reach out to see what goes on in our world, um, certainly uh, love to hear from industry groups. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about AB Vista, an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Ben Boyer, who is an assistant professor at The Ohio State University in the Meat Science Department. Ben, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you on today, Ben. Um, some of our audience may not be familiar with you. And so before we really start talking, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving a little bit of an introduction about yourself, that would be great. Uh, yeah, so my name is Ben Boyer. I'm a, a on faculty here at Ohio State University. I've been on faculty in my current position I'm here uh, for just over two years. Uh, prior to that, I was at the University of Guelph uh, in Ontario, Canada, in their Department of Food Science for four years as an assistant professor. Um, going back from there, I, I uh, received my graduate training. I did my master's at Ohio State University and uh, my PhD at the University of Illinois. And uh, during that time and during that, that training that I received as a graduate student, um, worked in the area of meat science and muscle biology. Um, and University of Illinois is really a, uh, a well-known university for their uh, research in, in pork quality and pork eating experience. So had some of those opportunities there 
And then when I began my uh, career as a, as a PI um, and as a academic researcher, um, continued some of those opportunities within the pork industry, um, working with uh, both maybe ways that we would manage pigs uh, during the finishing phase, uh, fresh pork quality, um, as well as further processed uh, meat quality as well. Perfect. Well, that's certainly a diverse background and you've had a lot of great experiences. One of the things I think I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today is, is really your role there at the university. We talk a little bit about you have a teaching appointment and a research appointment and really how do you mesh those together? And then we'll also talk a little bit, I think, at the end towards, you know, how do industry and universities work together in terms of creating those, those common goals when it comes to research? So I think I really want to start kind of at the beginning. Um, as you came out of your program and you started in these roles of, of professorship, if you will, um, what were some things that maybe surprised you when you were first getting started that, that you wish you would have known? Yeah, so I guess we'll just start at the, the beginning in terms of maybe talking to graduate students that would have an interest in pursuing academia as a career. Uh, most positions, um, at least at land-grant universities in the United States, are, are split between um, teaching or education, um, research, as well as extension and outreach. So whenever you're looking for a position, um, usually you're going to have a percentage breakdown of those three categories. And you may not have all three categories. For instance, my current position here at Ohio State is 65% uh, research and 35% teaching, meaning that I spend about two-thirds of my effort um, on research and about one-third of my effort on teaching. And that can be uh, working with graduate students as well as classroom instruction. Um, so that's something that if you're going into academia that you may not be aware of, uh, just in, in fact what professors do on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of their time management and their responsibilities. Um, but in terms of uh, when I started my career, um, I started at the University of Guelph um, in Ontario, Canada. Um, in that position, I had a, a split appointment between um, teaching, research, and, and then university service. Um, so in that particular uh, appointment, um, it's important to, to begin establishing, um, you know, a, a research program, uh, begin collaborating with other researchers as well as conducting research independently in, in the lab setting, uh, but also um, developing scholarship from a teaching standpoint, uh, working with undergraduate and graduate students, uh, providing opportunities for them to learn and to become educated and more well-rounded um, in the particular discipline that you're teaching. Yeah, that's, that's very good. One of the things I always hear from starting professors is really that research program. How do you get that started when maybe you are coming straight out of graduate school and, and you've had a few relationships or a few networks that you've created, but maybe not the vast uh, type of relationships that we would see from, from full professors? How do you or what recommendations would you make to people just getting started? Yeah, it's very similar to uh, to maybe going into private industry and, um, you know, uh, a, a certain employer may want five to 10 years of experience. It's very similar with funding agencies wanting uh, that documented success or documented ex experience for a particular topic. So that's one of the most challenging things is finding funding uh, for your research and indicating, hey, I have the, the, the tools and the knowledge necessary to uh, accomplish these research objectives. 
Um, so I would encourage new new professors or maybe graduate students that are looking to go into um, academia um, to really tailor their experiences during their graduate program and be able to learn how uh, how to conduct um, you know experiments, whether that be at the farm or in a benchtop lab setting, um, and then be able to put those experiences on paper and uh, be able to explain um, how you're going to conduct research. Um, as well as um, how you're going to take that research to the next level and actually share it with others and make an impact to the industry or to the scientific community. Yeah. One of the other things I always think of, too, is when you first get started, you may not be able to compete for those USDA grants, but can you potentially get on a another person's USDA grant and be a co-PI to start to get your your name out there and, and show that you have the capability of being a part of a program um, or working with industry or commodity groups. And so sometimes I think that might be the easier way for some of our, our younger student professors to get started is some smaller trials, um, get some dollars in, in their pocket and start to build that portfolio. What experience have you had working with the industry in doing such a thing? Yeah, so I think that that's another very important um, component is working with the industry um, as an academic, uh, expanding your network, going to events like the World Pork Expo or the um, IPPE conference that's coming up here in a couple months, uh, expanding that portfolio of, of industry colleagues um, so that they understand what you're doing um, as well as you understand what the industry is doing and some of the needs um, that you may, you may be able to provide. Um, as an academic, uh, whether it be, um, you know, working with maybe a literature review or analyzing data for them um, or doing pilot type of studies in your lab um, or at the farm, at, at your university farm are all important things that um, can really uh, provide a lot of uh, great opportunities for new professors. Mm -hmm. One of the issues I sometimes see, too, is that we get kind of stuck in our mind, if you will, we're in our, <clears throat> like most people, we get stuck in our own little world and we kind of forget what's happening out on the other side. And so I think it's a great recommendation to go to those industry meetings where, where there is more topic about what's current or what's, what's really happening in the industry so that you can stay current in your research. Do you ever set up times where you just meet with industry individuals just to talk about research needs? Um, I, I wouldn't say specific meetings, but um, there are several industry professionals that I talk to on the phone on a regular basis um, that may just call to, to see what I'm working on, or they may call with, you know, questions within their packing plant to say, hey, I'm experiencing this challenge from a meat quality standpoint, or maybe a, a fat quality standpoint. Um, what are some things that I could be considering whenever I'm uh, looking for solutions, or are you aware of any other packers that may may be experiencing the same type of challenges? Um, and what what are some of the things that you would recommend um, to them? Um, so I think that that's a, a great resource that academics can provide, um, just in terms of a, a completely outside third party type of opinion um, with certain challenges. So um, I, I wouldn't say I have regular meetings, but certainly have uh, you know constant communication. Um, with with individuals in the industry. And, and oftentimes I use that as an educational piece as well. Um, I go to my, maybe my graduate students or an undergraduate 
uh, group and, and some of my courses and say, hey, um, this is a really nice case study that I just heard about from an industry partner. Um, what do you think is going on? Or maybe in your future, if you were presented with this challenge, um, what would be some solutions that you might be able to think of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you actually hit the next question that I was going to ask you. And it was really about how do you tie what you're doing in the research realm into your academic appointment? Because you do have both in your in your assignments. So how do you, besides the case studies, how are you pulling in knowledge from research and industry into the classroom? Yeah, I often think that I'm in a unique spot where I'm able to work from a research standpoint with the industry as well as have direct contact with that, that pipeline of future scientists, future um, industry colleagues, or, or you know the next um, generation of the workforce. Um, so providing those opportunities um, is, is something that I, I try to do on a, a, almost a daily basis, um, whether it's, um, you know, if I'm in a, a meat science course, um, trying to educate those students with uh, realistic opportunities that they may be faced with in the future, um, as well as if you're working with industry groups. I, I know a lot of the, the, the time I hear from industry groups, it's so hard to, to find students that want to come work in my packing plant or want to come work uh, for my company. Um, but I have, you know, oftentimes have direct contact with that next generation of, of the workforce and can uh, pr maybe provide some insight to those industry professionals to say, hey, I've talked with these students. They're looking for X, Y, and Z in terms of a career. Um, maybe if we tailor some of those positions um, a, a certain way in the future, we could be more attractive to, uh, to that next generation of, uh, of the workforce. So that's something that, uh, again, is uh, one of the benefits of uh, working in academia is that direct connection that we have with students. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good point because we we often talk about, again, the, kind of the silos, academia versus industry. And, and we know that academia serves a purpose in terms of developing new and novel ideas and, and you know sharing that through research. But I think you hit the nail on the head. The other piece, the other bridge there is, is the ability to recruit talent and grow that talent so that it's it serves the industry well when they all leave and, and graduate. And so I think that's a good reminder to our industry folks is that getting in contact with folks at the university can certainly help you grow those contact bases. So you have opportunities to really tap into some talent that you may not be aware of for, for various reasons. Um, so that's a very good point, Ben. One of my other questions to you really kind of goes back kind of the opposite direction is what do, what do you think we need from a university perspective from the industry to help support our ability to create that talent or come up with you know, novel research programs or develop projects to, to answer needs of the industry? Yeah, I think that's, that becomes a little bit tricky in some instances because you know industries generally don't want to put all their cards on a table because they are trying to be profitable and uh, protect some of that intellectual property that they've invested so much into. Um, but I would say just a steady line of communications where it would start uh, being able to, uh, to, to go to academics, um, whether we need to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement or whatever the case is, uh, but to bring academics along uh, for some of those um, research opportunities or, uh, or, or educational opportunities. Um, another uh, thing that we really haven't talked about too much um, as internship programs and providing those to, to undergraduate students or graduate students 
Um, and oftentimes those internship programs could be even more successful if we loop in an academic uh, partner, uh, maybe a, a professor or something along those lines, and, and work together on um, research efforts or educational efforts for students. Um, another thing that we uh, should probably mention here as well um, would be collaborative research opportunities, whether those be um, conducted at a university setting or at a commercial uh, farm. Uh, those type of, uh, you know, collaboration opportunities can be really successful in terms of gaining knowledge that could be helpful for the entire industry. Um, and that can be both from a, a live pig perspective, um, whether it's nutrition, genetics, management, um, or even more in my field uh, from a meat science perspective, you know, working um, within packing plants or in further processing facilities and uh, working towards ways that we can collaborate together and uh, and gain you know knowledge and uh, innovation um, together oftentimes would be uh, beneficial for the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do, you certainly hit a couple of topics there, so I'm going to kind of break it up a little bit. One topic that came into my head when you mentioned internships, and you said it, undergraduate and graduate internships, and I think this is something that maybe people in the industry aren't as aware of, but this has certainly become a conversation around the graduate students. Is taking summers, whether it's during a master's or PhD, or taking a summer between their master's and their PhD to seek out an internship. Um, and I think that's actually a really interesting space to be in because they've had the undergraduate internships, particularly if they've gone through their master's, they have some basis of where they want to go with their career. And I think that brings in kind of a novel um, talent, if you will, while they're there with that in, with that industry partner for the three months that they're interning, and how often or how common is that on your side of the world that they're thinking about doing that now? Yeah, it depends. Uh, it depends a lot on location um, as well as just logistics. Um, being stationed here in, here at Ohio State, um, we have fewer opportunities to be around packing plants. Um, where a, a lot of you know those opportunities would exist for my students um, but whenever i was at the university of guelph that's something that um, we were able to do um, a lot because we were close to to plants um, we had one plant that was about 10 minutes away from campus and um, we had students um, in that plant on a very regular basis and it wasn't even a, a necessarily a situation where they were um, away for for three or four months they were just in that plant collecting data or working on projects uh, maybe once or twice a week. Um, so it was more of a commitment where they were able to, to go and get that plant experience um, and um, and it stayed within their, their educational opportunities at the university. So seeking out opportunities to do that would be very successful, um, I think, from an educational standpoint and training that um, next generation of the, of the workforce as well as um, you know, gaining new knowledge and innovation uh, from from all parties involved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the other pieces that you you hit on um, in the that previous question was the collaboration between industry and university, and you were talking about trials. And one of the things that came to my head was sample size, and certainly that's something that I would say the universities are probably criticized the most on is the ability to get samples or the size of replication that they need uh, for the industry to be comfortable with our results or findings. And so 
how do you typically manage through those challenges with sample size? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And I'll, I'll start with a, a meat science perspective, and that would be um, some of the differences that exist between university meat labs uh, from commercial packing plants. Um, so the big, the big differences would obviously be sample size, but um, one of the other differences is that most of our university meat labs are still electrically stunning pigs versus um, using CO2 stunning. Um, so the results can can differ quite a bit just based on um, those different the, the differences that that would um, that that would present. Um, so that is one of the the major challenges. And if we want to have more industry um, applicable research, then oftentimes we'd have to go to commercial packing plants. Um, and over the last three to four years, there's been significant challenge uh, for academics to have access to those commercial packing plants with the pandemic, as well as other, um, you know, other uh, things that are really beyond anybody's control. Um, so that's one thing that we ha certainly have to interpret university data with an air of, uh, of caution, if you will, and how applicable is this going to be to, um, you know, the industry. Um, so I think tailoring research efforts at the university setting um, to maybe focus on other aspects or aspects that would be more applicable or maybe even getting samples uh, if we're looking at, you know, maybe meat preparation or further processing or those type of things. Um, receiving samples from commercial partners um, oftentimes makes that more uh, more applicable for, for the industry. Um, in terms of just sheer sample size, um, that is one thing that we um, we certainly are are challenged with in most universities is having, um, you know, uh, sample size that would be uh, both statistically appropriate for analysis, um, but also sample size where the dynamics in a, a, a pen of pigs that's maybe 10 or 20 pigs is very different than what we'd see in the industry where maybe we have 80 to 100 pigs in a pen. Um, so some of those dynamic differences would be uh, certainly uh, challenging, and I'll provide you with one example. So if we look at um, the concept of compensatory gain in uh, swine nutrition or swine management, um, we could have the same um, square footage per, per pig in a pen, but if we only have 10 pigs in that pen versus commercial barn where we'd have 100 pigs, the entire dynamics of, of that type of study and looking at the different marketing events and how long we should have uh, between marketing events um, really isn't a, a great model to, to really address that research question. Although many university researchers have tried to address that, something that is certainly better suited in, a, in an industry setting where um, we're able to have access to pigs like they would be raised typically in the industry. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that I find too is that, you know, coming from industry, keeping that open mind, right? So it wouldn't be uncommon for me to go to a barn that did not have any research experience and certainly wasn't set up in a way to capture individual feed intakes or or even deliver feed to an, to an individual pen or an animal. And so, uh, but sometimes those farms are needed for various reasons, whether there's a certain health status or they're being transported to a certain uh, packing plant that we're able to collect data from. And, you know, one of the things I always thought that was important in those relationships is just to keep an open mind. You know, many times people want to help, but they may not quite realize how much they have to, to do or add to their barn, whether it's gating or feeders or extra bins and et cetera. But 
um, I was able to find opportunities though where we could do research trials on what I would call commercial farms and still get some relatively good data. Um, but I do think that if you're in that space, it's, it's really important to reach out to somebody at the university level uh, who does research on a regular basis to kind of help you form those projects. Um, I don't know if you've had much experience with that, but that was certainly something that, that I saw when I was out in the industry. Yeah, and, and again, I would uh, also kind of echo those um, statements that you made there in terms of, um, you know, taking one research study, whether it's at, at a university or at, or in the industry, um, that, that one research study may have a, a certain set of results that you're uh, very optimistic about, uh, but having the ability to repeat um, studies in different settings is very important. Um, and really to have conclusive evidence, you'd need more than one study to, to provide a certain um, level of response or certain results. Um, so I, I do think merging university research with industry research is important um, and something that we may be able to do more at a pilot setting in universities uh, that were able to better control parameters or better control confounding factors and then taking that research and treating it more like a pilot study and taking that to the commercial industry and replicating uh, maybe the treatments or replicating some of the study design um, at a larger scale um, certainly improve your confidence in the results. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been talking about research and, and projects and results and just out of curiosity, are there a few studies that you would like to share with us today that you feel are industry relevant or ones that maybe fit the examples that we've been talking about today? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So I, I made a, 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 a notepad here with uh, just some of the studies that my team's working on. And, and our team here at Ohio State, we work on a variety of different um, research initiatives, both uh, in, terms of the, in terms of pork, uh, beef, and poultry. So we're not just limited to pork, but a few of the things we're working on right now is revisiting some of the uh, principles of muscle myology um, throughout the pork carcass. So oftentimes we think of fresh pork quality um, in terms of loin quality um, and we ignore the rest of the carcass. Um, so even if we're doing large genetic studies, we may measure loin pH, uh, maybe marbling in the loin and say, hey, we're improving quality or we're um, you know, making negative impacts on quality. Uh, but it's important for us to realize that that loin primal especially a boneless loin, it's it's only going to make up a, a, a small portion of that carcass and quality w throughout the other muscles in that carcass is also important to consider. Um, so we're doing some eating quality work, um, some pH and color work uh, with different muscles throughout the pork carcass. Um, another one of the major aspects that my group focuses on is further processing. Um, so again, we think about the the meat that's coming from that pork carcass and what it's ultimate destination is um, around 75% of that pork carcass is going to further processing, whether it be bacon, sausage, ham, um, you name it. Um, so investigating further processing quality, um, both uh, quality of raw materials as well as uh, investigation of new processing techniques, um, new ingredients that we can use um, in processing, um, I think uh, is fairly important. Um, I know that uh, looking at ingredients that can make meat products healthier and more sustainable, something that my groups are really focusing on right now, whether that be adding um, ingredients that, that would make a shelf life of, of meat products, uh, improve shelf life of meat products, or um, adding ingredients that would, uh, would help supplement 
um, an already very healthy product, uh, but maybe adding things like dietary fiber or anti or uh, uh, prooxidants and those type of things um, that would uh, would certainly help uh, boost um, health of the of the consumer are, are things that we're looking at. Um, but but yeah, uh, several different interesting topics within within the pork uh, sector uh, are underway. Yeah, absolutely. I think that could be a whole nother podcast in itself, right? Meat quality and and how do we work through not just at, at harvest, right? But as you talked about further processing of the product. And so that, like I said, that could be another whole hour conversation. And I think that would be fascinating. Um, but unfortunately, our time is about up. So one of the things I'd like to ask you um, is to really kind of summarize a few key points that you'd like our, our listeners to take away from today's conversation. Yeah, hopefully uh, the listeners today, um, I, I know we have a, a range of listeners, but uh, maybe future graduate students just to speak or graduate students that are going to be future academics, uh, certainly to, to not, don't be afraid to reach out to uh, to new professors for advice. Um, we've we've uh, gone through some of the challenges that you may be facing in the next year or two uh, recently, so we could uh, certainly help with the transition from graduate school um, to uh, to a PI. Um, but also, I'd like to speak, uh, I guess, on behalf of an academic um, to industry groups, and um, hopefully, uh, industry groups will will uh, be comfortable reaching out to academics, and uh, you know, maybe things that we can do to help um, some of the the challenges that you're facing on a on a daily basis, or um, challenges that you're facing in your um, in your, uh, I guess, entity or um, industry group that. Um, whether it be, um, you know, specific questions or if you just want to reach out to see what goes on in our world. Um, certainly uh, love to hear from industry groups. Very good. It is time to our famous three. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Well, as you kind of know, because I know you've listened to some of our podcasts before, is now is the time that we ask our guest speaker a few questions that we ask all of our guest speakers. The first question I'd like to ask you today is, do you have a swine resource that you would recommend to the audience? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question, and I was going through multiple different options here, um, but I'd have to say the one that I probably use the most, and I only use it for about two or three minutes at a time, would be the Meat Buyer's Guide. Um, so that is a book that uh, that has all of the cutting specifications that we use here in North America, um, and that's one that, that I, it's on my bookshelf, and I, I pull it down uh, pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. Very good. How about something that's not related to pigs? Is there a book or an audiobook that you would recommend to the group? Yeah, so in terms of books that I'm currently reading, um, so my wife is expecting in March uh, with our first child, so I've been reading a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, what to expect when you're expecting or those type of books. And I've read one uh, recently called The New Dad's Playbook, which was written by an NFL player uh, by the name of Benjamin Watson. Um, and it's, it's really good, really informative. Um, and I've enjoyed uh, reading and learning. Uh, you know, I teach an animal physiology course, and I keep telling my wife, I know, I, I lecture about pregnancy and parturition, uh, female reproductive system, so I know all these things, but 
I still learn quite a bit whenever I'm reading the what to expect when you're expecting books. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, congratulations, Ben, on your upcoming child. That's that's always an exciting time. And But the last question I'd like to really ask you kind of focuses around uh, if you can think of somebody in your life that you define as successful. And success looks different to everybody, so however you define it. What's a trait about that person that you think has allowed them to be successful? Yeah, so I'll, I guess the first person that came to my mind was my uh, my supervisor whenever I was doing my master's and PhD, Dustin Bowler, and I would uh, describe him as just being extremely genuine. Um, so he's somebody that you could just have a genuine conversation with. Um, the you know his uh, his way about you know answering questions or just having a simple conversation. Um, is just incredibly genuine. So I would uh, I would say that that would be the defining characteristic I would describe um, in a person. So just making sure that you follow through um, with action whenever you you say things, and um, you know just uh, just being a, a genuine person and being honest and trustworthy and those type of uh, th- those type of things. Yeah, that's a perfect trait to have for sure. Well, Ben, it's been a wonderful time visiting with you today, and. Um, I certainly want to thank you again for being on the podcast today. For our audience and listeners, um, this is Dr. Ben Boyer, who is at the Ohio State University in the Meat Science Department. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.